Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening in today. And Erin, thank you so much for being here. Of course. I can't wait to have people learn more about this really important topic that is sometimes kind of hidden out of you. So tell us your story. Who are you? What do you do? How'd you get to where you are today? Yeah, my name is Erin Kirschbaum, and I'm a pelvic health physical therapist. You might have heard it be called pelvic floor physical therapy, women's health physical therapy. There's lots of names out there. Most pelvic therapists, I think, tend to call it pelvic health because it's not just the pelvic floor we're dealing with. The pelvic floor is a part of the entire pelvis. And I also like to call it pelvic health because men have pelvic floors too. And there are things that happen with men that they need pelvic health PT. But in general, yeah, I'm a pelvic health therapist. And I became interested when I worked at a clinic when I was going through prerequisite school at a community college, I knew I needed to get more exposure. And so I worked at a clinic and they happened to have two women's health therapists. At the time, I don't think they treated men. And so they were women's health therapists. And I just saw what they could do and offer people. And I was blown away. I, you know, their quality of life changes that you can make for that population, anything having to do with you know, sex, foul bladders, that's personal stuff. And to be able to help that, you know, was great. And so I I always had that interest peaked. So when I was going through graduate school at Pacific University in different classes, I would always pay special attention when they would talk about the pelvic floor. And then my very last clinical rotation, I just got super lucky and got placed with a clinical instructor who specialized in pelvic health. So I actually got to do like hands-on, literally hands-on, like (laughs) to see, is this something that I wanted to do? So I realized it was. And after I graduated with my doctorate of physical therapy, I went into specialized training and I went through Herman and Wallace Institute, which is a public health institute based out of Seattle, Washington. And I took a bunch of their classes and then eventually about two years in after multiple hours of lots of clinical work, I got my staff for my boards to specialize in it. So I have my PRPC, which is something you might see if people, if you're looking for pelvic therapists, that might be the acronym after their name. It stands for Pelvic Rehabilitation Practitioner Certification. Wow. Yeah, long name. <laughs> so PRPC, or there's another route you can take, which is through the American Physical Therapy Association section on women's health, and that's the WCS. So that's another acronym you might see or title after someone if they've really gone down that road and done their specialization training in pelvic health. Wow. Okay. I think I had no idea how specialized this was. So how many institutes are there like around the country? about um, is there a lot or I is honestly only a few think places? there's just two the, from what I know that you yeah. can uh, there might be more than that yeah. let's say maybe you're a pelvic PT but well or a pelvic specialist but I think in terms of being a true pelvic health specialist I believe it's just permanent Wallace and EPTA but I might be wrong yeah. those are the okay. two that are the okay. most common okay yeah yeah so but only a few people who are like really learning how to do this mm-hmm. so when you have all these initials behind your name and do all this training it means that you really are an expert I think that's important for moms to hear about just because, you know, there might be a lot of people out there who kind of talk about it, but mm-hmm. probably just a few people who right. really know what And doing. there are other PTs, you know, I think that 
it is more rare to get those specialization certification. But if you live in a smaller town and you, and there's later, I'll give you, there's a couple of websites that you mm-hmm. can search to find a public health PT in your area. But if you are in a small town and someone's taken a couple of courses, but they don't necessarily have the certification, that's still awesome. They still have more information than your average physical therapist, orthopedic physical therapist. Yeah. So not to say don't see someone that doesn't have their certification. It just means if they do, it just means they've gone down that road a little bit further to become specialized. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So let's get into what is public floor health? What does that mean? Yes. So it is a subspecialty within physical therapy. The pelvic floor is literally the muscles that create the floor of your pelvis. Your pelvis is like a big bony bowl, but there's no bones on the bottom. The only bones on the bottom are those little sits bones you feel when you rock side to side on your butt. Mm -hmm. And then the kind of the yoga emphasis. (laughs) And then your coccyx, which is your little tailbone and the, the pubic symphysis at the front. Those are kind of the four quadrants, but then underneath all of that, that's all muscle and soft tissue. So that's the pelvic floor. And again, it's a component of the entire pelvis. And the pelvis is essentially the powerhouse of our entire body. Our spine comes up from it. Our legs go down from it. It really neat. It's an important part. And it's a completely important part of the core. It creates the base of our core. So pelvic PT focuses on that. But in a bigger picture, there's kind of three aspects of pelvic health. There's the bladder component of your pelvic floor in your pelvis, which is kind of spread into a bunch of different topics, a bunch of which are any types of incontinence. Mm-hmm. So there's different types of incontinence. Just because you leak doesn't mean it's caused by the same thing. So we have stress urinary incontinence, which is when you have leakage due to coughing, sneezing, laughing, lifting, exercise, things like that. And then there's urge urinary incontinence. And that's when you get a strong, sudden urge to go to the bathroom and all that you're like, oh my God, I can't make mm-hmm, it. And you have mm-hmm. leakage on the way. Been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is really, really common for part of it and it can happen to people that haven't had babies too so it's not just because of pregnancy and delivery other things that you know bladder dysfunction wise is urgency and frequency going to the bathroom all the time or maybe you're that person that your friends always make fun of or like give a hard time to using and you just think you have a little bladder mm-hmm. that's probably not the case it it's likely poor habits. Your bladder is a really neurological organ and it can be kind of, it gets into bad habits when you get Mm -hmm. into bad habits, like what we call jicking, which is an acronym for just in case peeing. So super common with women, I think more than men is to go, oh, I'm leaving to go run an errand or I'm doing this. I'm going to go just in case. I'm going to empty my bladder just in case. And that actually sends really bad signals to your brain because if it's not full, then you're telling it that it can empty at any point and it never fully fills. And we have these, all this internal kind of stretch receptors on the inner lining that has a really specialized kind of connection to the brain to tell us when's appropriate to go. So a lot of times we do these really bad habits that develop mm. over a lifetime. And it's really interesting with pediatrics too, is I don't know, people ask me all the time, oh my gosh, but I have my kid do that all the time. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what you want, <laughs> like kids do that. But then there has to be a transition point where there's enough kind of self-sufficiency where you say, I, I don't truly have to go. And I'm going to make, if there's a bath, if I need to go when I'm out and about, I can find a toilet and I have enough confidence in myself to be able to get there without rushing. Yeah, so there's like, I'm an adult and I'll, I and can a, just wait. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Any sort of 
And there's something called interstitial cystitis, which is a super painful bladder condition. And there's lots of urgency, frequency, no UTI involved. Oftentimes all the tests are negative, but someone still has pretty severe pain with voiding. And, and then prolapse. So prolapse is a topic I think that a lot of people don't know about. And it's a scary word if they do know about it. Yeah. And that is where some of the, the viscera or the organs that live within this pelvic bowl don't sit or they're kind of fall from where they're supposed to be sitting and living. They fall down a little bit. And whether that's in a different, we have lots of different support systems that are supposed to keep our bladder up, keep our uterus up and keep our rectum up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those structures kind of fail in ways and then we get pressure downward and that can cause you know, bladder issues as well. So that's kind of the bladder dysfunction realm. Pain-wise, pelvic floor PT can help with pain with intercourse, which is a r- more common, I think, than people think. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. And just like not talked about yeah, at all. Exactly. I think a lot of people think that if they're having pain with intercourse, especially after they're having a baby, like, well, that's maybe normal because, yeah. you know, you know, everything's right. all shifted yeah. and of course it should be that way. Right. But it's really not long-term. It's not long-term. Yeah, yeah. Right away. I mean, especially if you've had any perineal tearing or episiotomy or anything, there's some scar tissue down there and hormonal changes. It, it can definitely be a little less comfortable when you first start out, sure. but it should not last for months and months. It should not be excruciating. It should not cause you to not be able to have intercourse. You know, one of the, I think the biggest things is scarring, whether that it's a vaginal delivery and there's a perineal scar where you've either torn or had an episiotomy or a C-section. So a lot of times people don't know that it's okay. Once the tissue is healed that, or, you know, not going to pull yeah. apart yeah. when you're working yeah. on it, you want to <laughs> give it, you know, yeah. like give it a rest sweet. first. Yeah. <laughs> don't touch it right away. But after that, it's safe to touch those scars. And I, I've seen so many women years later that just are so bound down scar tissue wise in their C-section scar and in their pelvic floor. And that impedes the whole entire firing and functioning of your core, you know? So, so, okay. So what can people do? Let's get, I mean, you know, cause I know you guys are like, okay, oh, ears for perks. (laughs) (laughs) What can people do to make sex easier right after they have a baby? I mean, after that four to six week time period of waiting and they have clearance from their OB and all that. I would say if there's been any tearing, you can, there's tissue that's not up towards your pubic bone, but the the tissue right in between the vagina and the anus. Mm -hmm. If you get some gentle lubrication, coconut oil, and just use your own finger to start massaging the area. Like it's okay to touch it. It needs to, there's nerve endings down there that can get irritated from the tear. So just doing some gentle massage to the area, thinking of, you know, not putting as much pressure, like not just digging in, but also not just the pressure of your, you know, fingers on your skin, like moderate pressure. You could have your partner do that to help out. Obviously, a lot of lubrication at first is helpful. If you find though, after, you know, weeks of trying or, or even months, if you're waiting that long and it's just severely, severely painful still, then sometimes it's hard to do all the work on your own and going fine, trying to find a pelvic health PT because we can see maybe those muscles have actually become overactive, which is a really common dysfunction in a ton of different pelvic health disorders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And honestly, I mean, as you listed out just with the bladder, we'll get to the other stuff, but like just the bladder and the pain stuff. I mean, I hope you guys heard all the bajillion things that can go wrong. So, I mean, even as like, a physician myself, when I went to public floor PT for the first time, I'm like, I think this is what's happening. They're like, yeah, no, this is actually what's happening because mm-hmm. you can't see very well down there. Mm-hmm. It can be an area that can feel weird to like try to like touch. And also yeah. just, you're not the expert on it. Right. So if it's not going the way that you think it should be going, mm-hmm. it feels like it's not improving go get help. Yeah. Right. And I think a big thing, like I mentioned earlier, is there's a big myth out there that 
postpartum that people's muscles are just kind of like this big bowl of like jelly, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel like that. But often it was a trauma to your pelvis. And oftentimes what the body does during a trauma is it guards and it becomes tight, right? Imagine mm-hmm. you get a neck injury mm-hmm. and you start kind of hiking your shoulder up towards your ear and then all that gets really tight and it becomes painful. And then it starts radiating to your head. The same thing can happen postpartum. That was just a really intense thing for your pelvis to go through. So those muscles and Oh man, I could go off on this. Yeah. The core weakness, the glute weakness, the posture changes, your pelvic floor postpartum is having to work overtime. So most often the pelvic floor muscles postpartum become overactive and too tight, not too loose. And so doing Kegels is not going to help. You have to relax the muscles down first mm-hmm. and and then be trained how to do a Kegel correctly. And maybe you don't even do that for for months. I mean, there's ways to yeah. train the pelvic floor functionally in, in abdominal exercises, but maybe you, you're not one of those people that needs to do a hundred kegels a day. You need to release the muscles. So that's what a pelvic health therapist can tell you is what side of the spectrum are your muscles on? Are they, some people do have really kind of underactive, loosey goosey pelvic floor muscles. Yes. Yeah. But other times they're really tight and that tightness can cause the pain too, right? Yeah. Even if you didn't have tearing during your delivery, maybe those muscles are just really tight. Yeah. So it could be the opposite. Like what you're trying to do at home could be actually like worsening your yeah. issue yeah. as opposed to making it better. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's go to the bowel stuff too, because mm-hmm. you work with bowel incontinence as well, which I mean, gosh, if like peeing is like a blush and like hush hush yeah. topic, I mean, you know, losing control of your bowels, is yeah. even more. So tell me about that, really? that part yeah. and how common that is. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I don't see it as much as urinary incontinence yeah. and that, you know, multiple reasons for that posturally, sure. one of which may be it's too embarrassing to talk about. So they yeah. never get help. The other is that, I mean, the, the anal sphincter is a pretty tight sphincter mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily go through all the trauma that during vaginal mm-hmm. delivery. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as common, but it exists. The other thing that I treat bowel-wise is constipation. So constipation is a whole, you know, multifactorial situation, but we could, pelvic health therapists can help with kind of the, the stimulation of the gut and doing certain different types of abdominal colon massages and also working on the pelvic floor muscles, right? The, the colon comes down, turns into the rectum, and then exits as the anus. And those pelvic floor muscles are literally right around the anus. So if they're really tight, that final ability to kind of get that out, the stool out, yeah. that can be really pelvic health PT can be really helpful for that. The other thing with constipation is we really want to avoid it if we're if someone is having signs of prolapse, because if you're constantly straining, that can long term really create this negative this pressure down in the pelvic bowl and make that prolapse even worse. Yeah, it can be all interconnected. Mm-hmm, yeah. It really is. I yeah. mean, honestly, ladies, like number one thing in your whole life is to like avoid constipation mm-hmm. when it comes to health. Yes, <laughs> like yeah. all things come back to like hydration and right. like the bowel, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, if there was like yeah. one. Thing that I tell kids, but then also like for my moms that I come see me that are having a hard time, like, yes, work mm-hmm. on that first. <laughs> really important. Yeah. Totally multifactorial. So the water, you know, I have a little bit of training in like diet in terms of physical therapy, but I'm sure. not a nutritionist, not a dietitian, but if they, someone can be working with lots of different providers to work on that, that's just super important long-term. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So someone decides that they, they've heard these things that might be an issue for them and they want to come see a public floor physical therapist mm-hmm. or public health just mm-hmm. nervous so what can they expect like when they come into your office yeah. and they're like yeah hi nice to meet you because <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's daunting for it people is. yeah and honestly I think the response that I get most often is oh my gosh 
I wish I would have known about this sooner. It wasn't as bad as I thought. (laughs) Those are the two responses. So I really try, I mean, I have an hour with my patients and so I like to get a a good history. And so Mm -hmm. I'll sit down, you know, try to, you know, get all the information out there because I feel like, you know, you have to, when you come in, it's important to be an open book because you might not know that something that's going on is related to that. Mm -hmm. You know, like you were just saying, everything's so interconnected. And so we discuss medical history and then I have a really awesome model of a pelvis. Her name is Gina. Um, and I is the male model. But yeah, so I bring out the model. And I, I think it's so important once you can see the 3D visualization of all of those muscles and the bones and the organs, it's so helpful to see that. Yeah. And then I actually I do a lot of education on what I would do for the pelvic floor muscle assessment. Yeah. And so I go over the different layers of the pelvic floor and I show that. And then I usually take a screen of the hip strength and core strength and posture and all yeah. of that. And then in terms of the actual pelvic floor assessment, which is not necessarily, I mean, I like to do it at the first visit, mm-hmm. especially if someone's having something directly related to mm-hmm. it. But if there's any, you know, any, um, you know, discomfort with that or they want to wait, hesitation, yeah. then that's totally fine. We don't have to do it. So don't yeah. feel like you're going to have to do that during the first visit. Yeah. Any good public health therapist should be completely understanding of that and do it whenever you feel comfortable. But if you are comfortable, what it entails is usually dressing from the waist down and we don't use speculums or anything like that. We're a physical therapist. So we're interested in like palpating. How does Mm -hmm. it feel? So we used a gloved hand and we start externally. We first just visualize the area Mm -hmm. to look for kind of where is what the perineal body is this tissue in between the vagina and the anus. Where is that resting? Is it really up and in really far or is it kind of far down? And that can give us an idea already of what's going on. And then we palpate externally through different muscle layers, looking for any tenderness, a lot of times tenderness gives us a clue that that muscle might be overworking. Just mm-hmm. like if you're tender in your back muscle, someone massages your neck and you're like, oh, I didn't know I had pain there, but you touch it and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's sore. The same thing can happen in your pelvic floor muscles. So we do that externally first and then we switch gloves, um, plenty of lubrication, usually insert one finger vaginally, and then we can feel through the different muscle layers on the deeper areas to feel for the same thing. Then have someone do a pelvic floor contraction also known as a Kegel or Kegel, Mm -hmm. to see what's the strength, what's the endurance, what's the coordination. It's more than just doing a quick little like up, down. (laughs) Yeah, that was the thing that I thought was so fascinating because when I went to physical therapy, I was like, okay, this is just going to be like do a giggle and then see how good I am. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a plus student out of this. You know, they're like, whoa, sister, slow it down. Like, you know. Exactly. I think that's what most people think. They're just like, the more the better. And like, you know, trying to use everything. And some people use, you know, they do a whole glute bridge off the table because they're just trying to get everything involved. Mm -hmm. But we want to know, like, what do the pelvic floor muscles do? I don't want you to use your glutes. I don't want you to use your inner thighs. Those might be muscles that we use later if someone has no pelvic floor muscle recruitment then we need to use what's called accessory muscles and do all these other exercises to get those muscles kicking in to try to have carryover so the pelvic floor wakes up. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, someone it's ideal that the person can be do an isolated pelvic floor muscle contraction, hold it for a certain period of time, and then do those muscles relax. That's the, the key thing. Because if you're doing Kegels at home, like a bicep curl, imagine you're working your bicep and you do a bicep curl and you bend your elbow all the way. But then I say relax and you only relax a little bit. So your elbow's at like a 90 degree bend. And then I say contract again and it tightens. And each time you contract, it gets tighter and tighter. Then at the end of that, then your muscles just really tight and tightness doesn't equal strength, right? Because right. then you have an arm walking around during the day that's bent at the elbow completely and it's not even functional. Right. So pelvic floor wise, we want those muscles to release all the way back down so that they can get a nice, good contraction back up. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, it's nuanced. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Mama. Guess what? Our book, The New Baby Blueprint, is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, they say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. Part of going to public floor physical therapy, one thing, I I don't have a trauma history, but I know a lot of people do. And mm-hmm. I know you guys are specifically trained mm-hmm. in dealing with that. So yeah. that I just want to give a nod to that. So like, you don't have to be afraid that this person can't take that into account yes. and work with you regardless. Exactly. The other thing is, for me, I mean, really, a lot of it was about like, okay, you got to grow up. Like, you're a grown woman. You had two kids. Like, uh, either you could be embarrassed about this thing and not go talk to someone and like pee all the time in your pants as you're jogging around, or you could like go be an adult and get help for something that you really need help for that that person is not embarrassed about at all to help you with. Yeah. It's all we talk about all day. I mean, I try to make my patients feel as comfortable as possible. And I'm like, I talk about pee, poop, and sex all day long. I have been doing this for five years. It's all I've ever wanted to do. I've never, I've always, I did a little ortho, but I went straight into public health. So I, you know, 40 to 50 patients a week for five years, it's all I talk about. So I just, you know, I really try to let people know that this is, you are not uncommon. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are common that are not considered normal. And I think that's the issue with a lot of the incontinence mm-hmm. is that they people, most women think, or a lot of women think that, you know, I had a baby, so I have leakage and that's normal and no one can help me, or I'm going to try to fix this on my own. But you know, there is stuff that you can do about it. And it's not just Kegels. It's this whole core system and the core with pregnancy is disrupted, right? Yeah. You know, the, our whole breathing system is disrupted. Breathing is an integral part of healing kind of that core. Mm-hmm. That's something that's just super interesting. Yeah. And the abdominal muscle, muscles, like you said, are connected as well. So how about like diastasis recti? Tell me yeah. about that part too. Diastasis or diastasis is called either one, just like Kegel Kegel. Like, who knows what's right? <laughs> Say whatever. Tomato, tomato. Gonna make fun of you. <laughs> so diastasis recti abdominis is when the, what's called the linea alba, which is the line that is a co- of connective tissue that goes from your sternum down to your pubic bone. And it's where all your abdominal muscles connect in the middle. During pregnancy, I like to call it our, it's like a human zipper. It literally unzips. It allows your abdominals to expand during pregnancy, which is amazing. And yeah. it's totally normal. It's supposed to happen It's that supposed way. to happen. Yes. Right. The issue is when it doesn't resolve, maybe, you know, it's normal to have it right away up to a few months. And I think I've seen things on up to six months considered normal. However, if you, and we measure it in usually like finger width mm-hmm. in terms of the gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's like you could fit your hand in between and it's still six months, like, you know, that's not normal. There's all these variations, right? It depends, but it, it shouldn't last forever, but it is normal to have right away. There's things that you can do though, to mitigate making it worse. You know, mm-hmm. like the biggest thing is even during pregnancy, be mindful of the exercises you're doing. So if you're someone that's been really, really fit and you want to keep working out, you're doing all these high level abdominal exercises, you have to watch yourself and notice if you're getting what's called doming or tenting kind of over the rectus abdominis muscle. So if you're getting this like kind of cone shaped line down the middle of your abs, when you're doing certain exercises, mm-hmm. 
that means you're not managing your pressure in your core correctly. It means you're putting all the pressure outward into your abdominals instead of using kind of your deep core muscles or your pelvic floor. And sometimes it's hard to mitigate when you get so big. So you just have to be gentle with yourself and think long-term about what you're doing to your body and backing off a little and not going so so intense. This is like the theme of motherhood and pregnancy. <laughs> backing off a little because sometimes less is more yeah or like correct is better than more yeah right yeah diastasis and then postpartum you know the biggest thing is pressure management so not doing crunches or sit-ups right away because Mm -hmm. that is a highly what we call front-loaded exercise which puts a lot of load through the rectus abdominis which is essentially if you see someone very fit and lean it's the six-pack muscle yeah so underneath that, we have a really deep core muscle called the transverse abdominis. And the transverse abdominis almost creates this human corset. So it's what actually, when it engages, it kind of pulls everything in together and stabilizes the pelvis. That's the muscle that we want to train. And that's the minutia. So that's when we back off mm-hmm. from all these like planks and other exercises. And we have to get that muscle firing because that's the one that's going to kind of pull everything together and then get the pelvic floor on board. Because doing, we need the pelvic floor and the transverse abdominis to create this pelvic brace for the pelvis. And then we can start adding in other exercises. But yeah, diastasis, it can be perpetuated by chronic straining, poor posture, things like that. And so it's, it's correcting those little day-to-day movements and then doing really specific exercises. One thing that I've you know, learned over the last few years when I've dived deeper into diastasis rehab is the breathing system. So yeah. if you think about your rib cage after you had a baby, your ribs flare out. A lot of people's ribs are like your, your bra fits different. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm bigger through my yes. rib cage. Your abdominal muscles attach up to your rib cage. So if your rib is out, like out here in space, your abdominal muscles, they're like, ah, I don't know what to do. Where do I attach? How do I fire? Yeah. So we have to get the ribs back down so that we can actually have this place of connection to contract your core from. So I've seen other patients who have had diastasis rehab for, you know, a couple of years or more, like high level CrossFit athletes that had this massive diastasis and they'd been to five other PTs, no one specially trained in pelvic health and they'd done all these exercises and it just wasn't getting better. And I looked at her and I saw her rib angle was super flared and she was like, yeah, I like my bra, my, my bra is like so much bigger than it used to be. And we worked on breathing. She was super compliant with her exercises, which is key. That's number one. Number one. My husband's a physical therapist and he's like, you don't do your exercises. It's not my fault. You don't get better. Yeah, exactly. But then you think about postpartum, you have babies, like it's hard. I get it. Yeah. If you know, that self-care is so important. You have to put in the time because long-term. So she worked really hard at getting her ribs. She came back in, I think like, I don't know, we didn't see each other that often because she was commuting from a ways away, but she was super motivated, did her exercises and her ribs were like coming way down. She was like, I haven't worn a bra this small. I'm like forever. She's like, it's getting so much better. And over, I think maybe four or five months, I want to say, and there's different timeline for everyone, but she had significant improvement. She was doing different. I'm not a CrossFitter, but she, so she had all these things she was doing CrossFit. Yeah. The terms weren't as familiar to me, but she was like, I'm doing this and this. And I said, I did a PR on this. And she's like, I haven't felt this strong in my core in forever. So it's just, you have to look at the whole body. You know, I think sometimes people just work on transverse abdominis or they do something called the Tupler technique where you're pulling your abdominals together and crunching, yeah. which isn't, it, maybe that works for some people if you're doing it correctly, but we don't want to fix one problem and create another. Yes. Right. Yes. So like if we're fixing the diastasis, but you're not 
managing your pelvic pressure, right? You could actually be pushing down into your pelvic floor and you create prolapse while you're trying to fix your diastasis. So it's a, you have to look at a lot of different things. And work smarter, not necessarily harder, harder, right? How about, and I know you're not like an orthophysical therapist at this point, but you still see, I'm sure, a lot of breastfeeding people. So how about like repetitive use injuries from Mm -hmm. breastfeeding? Are there things people can do to avoid that? Yeah, definitely. Posture is huge. So trying to support yourself with as many pillows as possible so that you're not super rounded forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, you ultimately want yourself to be able to have a nice tall spine. Imagine someone taking your hair like in a ponytail or the back part of your hair and pulling it so that you feel the back part of your neck lengthen to do it right (laughs) and then the shoulders don't need to necessarily be like pulled back and down all the time Mm -hmm. because that's going to create their own issues but just having enough pillow support to where your shoulders aren't super and your mid-back isn't super rounded forward and the other things outside of the actual positioning is doing other exercises to mitigate that so mid-back strengthening different type of row exercises kind of scapular strengthening exercises and then stretching through the pectorals or the chest so most people have one of the foam roller hanging around their house laying on it lengthwise supporting your butt and your head arms at your side like a snow angel and then just like letting your arms float up beside you and getting a nice big stretch across your pecs can really help alleviate a lot of that kind of tension through the shoulders and the back yeah that's such good like practical advice i've also heard lactation specialists talk about trying to do like a 90 90 90 with Mm, your body mm -hmm. when you're feeding so that you have like you know at your knees it's 90 foot support at your hips and then using breastfeeding pillows my goodness like please have someone else look at you and just Mm -hmm. make sure that you're not all hunched over because it can be hard especially when you're really tired yeah to have it be all correct exactly and then also just for like overactive letdown if people have that which is where the milk's like spraying a ton or you have overactive production so tons of milk sometimes even for your baby it's better to be at that 90 degree angle or even more laid back and so it's going to help everybody if you're not hunched over and hurting your shoulders and your neck and all that stuff yeah yeah Yeah, definitely all right so i consider pelvic health like the ultimate in self-care because i think in the beginning to me it almost felt frivolous like this is only for me i have other things to take care of my house my baby my husband i mean I mean, I, I think for partners, like, I think we all feel a lot of pressure, not all, I don't know, some people feel a lot of pressure to be like, Hey, I'm going to like bounce back. Let's have sex again. But, but for me, the pelvic floor stuff and pelvic health wasn't about that. It was more just about like, what hour do I need to take for myself mm-hmm. once or twice a week to get back to myself? And also how do I accept that? Like, I am not perfect and then I'm different than I was before. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me like, have you had any experiences with moms where they've been like, Oh my gosh, I just so wish I'd done this yeah. or all been emotional time. over it. Yeah, yeah. All the time. And after we work together, you know, it's just, I, a lot of them tell me, and it's just, it's why I love what I do, you know, and they just feel like you've given me my life back, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you, the, the patient has to be the one really working for it. I'll give, I have all the, you know, information and yeah. education and tell you how to do it. But if you are, you know, motivated to help yourself, you can really make really big gains. And I've had, yeah, so many patients that have had leakage and, and not just postpartum. I mean, I treat patients through the whole entire age span, you know, and once postpartum, always postpartum, right? So sometimes yeah. these things start directly postpartum and yeah. then 20, 30 years later, I'm seeing someone and all their symptoms started postpartum, but they didn't know about this. And so they're finally addressing it and just seeing the changes that can be made 
it's just, I don't know, it gives, it really does, I think, increase someone's quality of life. When you have a bum knee or shoulder, like it's hard and Mm -hmm. it's frustrating, of course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like when your private area isn't working right, like I feel like (laughs) (laughs) people are like, oh, this is not okay. But there are ways of addressing it that I think really long-term health, like you're going to be a better parent if you can focus on your children or your partner or whatever and not be, you know, embarrassed or you can't run at the park with your kids or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier some resources that you have for moms. Yes. Tell us like where people can find help and how they can find a physical therapist. Yeah. So one that I am most familiar with is called pelvicrehab.com. Okay. And that is through the Herman and Wallace Institute. They actually, I think, created that website because people would search for pelvic PTs online mm-hmm. and it would come up with pelvic, Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehab Institute. And people oh. would think they had PTs there. So they were getting like all these calls. Sure. Like, I need a physical therapist. They're like, we don't have them here. We're the institute that teaches all of them. But right, see right. this site. And so they created one. So that's called pelvicrehab.com. Or there is the, through the APTA, which is the American Physical Therapy Association, their section on women's health has a resource. And that one is ptl.womenshealthapta.org. So those two websites, you should be able to put in your zip code and then it'll pull up a list of any provider. I get, I don't know how the section on women's health APTA is in regards to how they organize it in terms of does someone have to have a WCS or be certified to be able to yeah. list it? I doubt it. I think it's if you've taken a pelvic health class and consider yourself to be a pelvic health yeah. therapist, yeah. they'll be listed under those. And then you can see kind of how close one is. Unfortunately, pelvic PT isn't as common. And so in, I mean, we're in Portland, Oregon, Mm -hmm. which there's quite a few public health PTs here, which is amazing that you get to, you know, other areas in the state or, you know, smaller rural areas and it is harder to find someone. And Mm so just seeking that out. And even if you can, you know, go, but not as frequently just to get the help you need. Yeah. Yeah. And even if insurance doesn't cover it, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know everybody's financial situations, but I do think that there are certain things that are worth it to invest in. Right. This is one of them. A doula is another one. (laughs) I mean, it's like, there's like two things that matter when you're a new mom. One is that you don't do your pants every day if you can help it. And then the other is that you like get help with your baby and soothe them. So just encouraging people, like even a couple sessions Mm -hmm. to get the information that you need will probably be worth it. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I'm sure long-term would be even better, but Mm -hmm. trying to do a few sessions just to get that info and get diagnosed with what you actually have. Yes, I think. Exactly. Let's talk a tiny bit about people maybe beyond the postpartum period. And because I know you deal with also like vulvodynia yeah. and yes. dyspareunia, which are fancy words for mm-hmm. pain, like in your vulva, your you know vagina area, and then also pain with sex. Mm-hmm. So talk about that yeah. part. How do you help with that? Yeah, it is actually more common than you think. But again, no one really talks about it because mm-hmm. they're all alone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it used to be called, I think, vestibulitis, but they've changed the naming on that because now it's more called either vulvodynia or vestibulodynia. Inia at the end of something means pain. Mm-hmm. So it's more correct. It used to be itis, which is inflammation. Right. They realized they didn't know what was causing it necessarily. So it's not inflammation. So they wanted to correct, correctly name it. Unfortunately, because it's a women's health condition, and I won't get on my soapbox too much here, there hasn't been a ton of research. Hopefully mm-hmm. there's more going on now, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been a ton of research to figure out what truly is causing it. There's lots of hypotheses, but it's essentially when you have severe, severe pain in your vulva or around the opening of the vagina when you try to have sex, 
or it can be without sex. You can just have that pain. It's a burning kind of nerve-like pain in the vagina, at the opening of the vagina. It can radiate up into the groin, the pelvis, the buttocks, down the legs, but usually it's worse with sex. So anything, whether or even tampon insertion mm. or gynecological exam, or even you know any other sexual activity, finger, anything penetrating the vagina is severely painful. You know, and they've been tested, and everything else is you know cleared and right. unremarkable. And you know, hopefully, more doctors out there and and OBGYN specifically are aware. You know that. Eh, to be to be kind and gentle and you know not I've had some patients unfortunately say I went to the doctor and I told them that like I have this history and they still use like a regular speculum instead of the child size speculum and and things like that and it's just you know being respectful and understanding that this happens to people and so yeah pelvic therapy can help mitigate how bad that is so a lot of times people that have that type of pain it, based on how it presents, it seems very nerve-like, right? People describe it as like a burning, a stinging, a sharpness, a ripping that oftentimes allows or does not allow for them to even have sex. It's just too painful to even begin. Sometimes it's okay, but they can't really enjoy it. They're mm-hmm. just kind of tolerating it, which no one wants that. No, that's not, not there. Good. No. And so as it from a physical therapy, kind of musculoskeletal, neuromuscular perspective, we work on downtraining the muscles because oftentimes if someone's dealing with something like that, their whole nervous system is through the roof. You know, we're upregulated into what's called that sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response. When someone's dealing with something that stressful and traumatic, like, of course, your nervous system is going to be like heightened, but a heightened nervous system heightens our sense of pain. So we really work on a lot of downregulation techniques to get the whole nervous system to relax. The biggest thing I teach with that, because it's, it kind of kills two birds with one stone is called diaphragmatic breathing. So diaphragmatic breathing works on one realm of the nervous system. It's been shown to help kind of stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And then twofold, diaphragmatic breathing actually works with the pelvic floor to help lengthen it as we breathe. Remember how we talked about the rib cage earlier and how the diaphragm lives underneath that rib cage. And so it's the top of our core. The bottom of our core is our pelvic floor. Kind of looks like a soda pop can. Imagine this analogy, right? And then we have these abdominal muscles and back muscles that create a canister. When we breathe, our diaphragm and our pelvic floor mirror each other. So when we breathe in, our diaphragm comes down. And then our pelvic floor actually elongates and lengthens and relaxes as we inhale, which is super counterintuitive to most people. Mm -hmm. You know, you think Mm -hmm. about sighing to relax. That helps relax the whole body. But our pelvic floor specifically actually relaxes and lengthens as we inhale. And then as we exhale, it kind of comes back up to neutral. So there's this kind of pistoning effect. So this type of breathing can really help to reteach the pelvic floor muscles to relax and the relaxation of those muscles, all these nerves down there travel through the muscles. So the relaxation of the muscles can help at least make the vaginal opening a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. so that it's not having to stretch so far when something's trying to enter it. Right. So yeah, it's, it's a tough one though. I mean, that diagnosis is really scary and I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's very, it affects every part of someone's life. And so a pelvic PT, you know, we're not magic. We can't fix it all, but we can at least give you tools to try to help it be better, you know, and we're usually working with a good doctor or a good naturopath or anyone out, you know, acupuncture, all these different, whatever yeah. you, you know, anyone that you can see that can help, but we're kind of a piece of that puzzle, a piece of that team. Yeah. For those conditions. Super important. Just because I want people to know, like, it's not just postpartum, yeah, right? I mean, exactly. these things can go on 
forever. Or mm-hmm. it can be something that you just decide, like, I'm going to brush it under the rug and I'll deal with it later. It's not too late. Yeah. You can still go back and get help from yeah. someone who knows who knows what they're doing and can be yeah. a helping hand. And it's better to do it early on, especially the postpartum stuff, because, mm-hmm. um, and even not postpartum, but like you were mentioning earlier, it's better to take care of it now, even cost-wise. Like if yeah. you, like one of the biggest, I think, admittances to skilled nursing facilities these days is incontinence. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> do if it you early. Fix that early, you're not like 80. then you're going to be like more <laughs> independent as you get older. Totally. You know? Totally. That type of, you know, just if you can really address it and your body is, it has a better ability to learn and to fire and get these muscle patterns working better, the earlier you catch it versus changing, you know, decades and decades of poor patterns that your body's gotten into. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I mean, I think as moms, it's hard sometimes to think beyond like what's happening right now Mm -hmm. with our kids or whatever. But I do think all the things we talk about, about like, self-care. I mean, I hate that word, even though I use it all the time, but like Mm -hmm. taking care of yourself and making sure that you're really investing in yourself. It truly is an investment so that later on you're around when your kids are around, you're around when your grandbabies are around, you're around like to go travel. You can do all the things you want to do later. And that when you're out of this like microcosm time, or Mm -hmm. you feel like the world is just like you and your kids or like you and your baby, yeah. that you can enjoy it fully yeah. when you're there. Yeah. And I often, I mean, it's not ideal because you never know when the, when baby's going to get hungry or whatnot, but I often have my new moms. Like I treat a lot of moms during a pregnancy yeah. and then we wait like six weeks and then they come in postpartum. Yeah. And if they feel like the only way they can come in is with their baby, then I'm okay with that. You know, other yeah. PTs might not be, but I feel yeah. like most public health PTs are pretty open to that because yeah. we'd rather have you get in than not at all. So if you need to bring the baby and we love seeing the babies anyway, yeah. so it's all yeah. good. Yeah. So I really encourage that if that's been a deterrent and getting in. Awesome. Erin, thank you so much for being here. I will put in the show notes the resources that she gave. And biggest message I think is just to reach out and get help and don't feel like you have to diagnose yourself. There are people out there who know what they're doing and who would love to help you. Absolutely. Hey, hey, hey. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast so you're automatically notified every time we have powerful information, inspiration, and amazing guests to share with you. We would also be so honored if you shared the Modern Mommy Doc podcast with your friends by snapping a screenshot of this episode and posting it with hashtag Modern Mommy Doc so we can spread the word and help more mamas win at parenting without losing themselves. Thanks for being part of our community.